theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. read a scripture and uh, then we'll be seated and we'll carry on. I want to share with you a little bit from the word of God today. What a privilege to be here as you uh, launch your big give campaign for this year. Acts chapter two, this is ground zero for the church, the big C church all around the world. Um, This is where it began. This is where it happened. Acts chapter two, verse one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. Everyone say unity. They were together. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is ground zero. That is stage one. That is the beginning of everything that we are, everything that we love, and everything God is doing in his church today. When his spirit was poured out for the very first time on human beings just like us. But aren't you grateful that 2,000 years later, God's spirit is still being poured out at Extraordinary Church, the same spirit that began. Go ahead and be seated. When you get there, would you just set everything down for a second? Lift your hands one more time. Fill this room with a great praise to the Lord. Would you do that? Use your voice. Use your praise voice. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I give you honor and praise and glory. What I just read to you is the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts. The first prayer meeting in the book of Acts. And it begs a question as we look at churches today. What does your church pray for? What does the leadership of your church pray for? What do the elders and the staff pray for? What do the members pray for? Do we pray for God's blessing or God's presence or God's provision or God's power? What do we pray for? Do we pray for miracles or backsliders or revival? I'd like you to think about something just for a second. Other than you and your family and your needs, what do you pray for? The first prayer meeting in the book of Acts was very similar to a lot of prayer meetings that we go to. They were waiting for God's spirit. They were tarrying is what Jesus told them. Just wait and God's going to pour out his spirit on you. That's what Jesus instructed them to do. Here's what he said in Luke 24. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but you go tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Here's what I'd like to bring to you for a moment this, this afternoon. Once that prayer was answered in that first prayer meeting, and God sent his Holy Spirit upon them, and he baptized them with his power, Once that prayer was answered, they moved on to the second prayer meeting in the book of Acts. Here's the the thing. They no longer had to pray for God's power to come upon them because now they had it. 
God had answered that prayer. The Holy Ghost was now inside of them, guiding their lives and empowering the church. So once they received what they had been praying for in the first prayer meeting, they moved on to something entirely different in the second prayer meeting and the third prayer meeting and the fourth prayer meeting and so on in the book of Acts. Because the second prayer meeting, it didn't take place in the privacy of an upper room. It actually started in the public courtyard of the temple. And before that prayer meeting was done, it moved to a courtroom and a jail cell before the second prayer meeting got over with. They weren't praying for an outpouring of God's Spirit anymore because they'd already received that. God had already done that. He'd already answered that prayer. So they weren't praying for more power or more blessing or more revival because God had already answered that prayer. So the second prayer meeting in the book of Acts, it's a little different. It takes place right after Peter and John were released from prison with instructions. Do not speak any more in the name of Jesus. But instead of stopping, you know what they did? They gathered all the church together. They reported, we had a little problem with our prayer meeting. And then another prayer meeting broke out. Can you remember, if you've read the book of Acts, can you remember what they prayed for in the second prayer meeting? It's a little unusual. These people were just a little bit strange. They probably shouldn't have prayed for this, but they did anyway because they were an extraordinary church. You see, this is the church in the first century that operated under the constant threat of persecution. If it hadn't been for the hand of God, they wouldn't have survived the first century. So if they'd have had any common sense at all, they would have prayed for protection or for safety or for covering or provision or blessing or a thousand other things like we often do. One pastor in the United States, he stood up and told his church, would you please stop praying for protection? It's embarrassing when we're already praying, all, all the time praying for protection, especially when people come from other countries where the church is persecuted. It's like, what are we praying from protection from? Walmart? Like, what are we praying for protection from? In that first century church, they didn't have any prayer requests quite like that. Can you remember what they prayed for in their second prayer meeting? The first prayer meeting, they're praying, God, pour out your spirit. But once they got God's spirit, here's what they pray for. Acts 4, 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. It's rough out here. And grant unto thy servants protection. Send the angels to put a bodyguard. No, they said... Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Seriously? You guys are going to pray for boldness? Peter and John still smell like a jail cell and you're asking God for more boldness? Don't you get it? Boldness is what landed them in jail in the first place. Maybe you should have prayed for a word of knowledge because it doesn't seem like this is working very good. Maybe you should have prayed for some discernment because you're just not figuring this out. They're praying for boldness. Oh, yeah, and they did ask for one other thing. Verse 30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So that's the second prayer meeting and the third prayer meeting and the fourth prayer meeting and the fifth prayer meeting. Once they got God's spirit 
in their lives, they started praying for boldness to use what God had already given them. They started praying, God, we want you to send miracles and signs and wonders. Please notice, they're not asking for healing or signs or wonders or miracles for themselves. They're asking God to do something powerful through them so it affects everybody else around them. That's what they're praying for. So their prayer meeting is not like us for and no more. They're focused outside the walls of where they are meeting. Here's basically what they're praying. God, would you do something that points sinners in our direction so that we can point them in your direction. That is the focus of Extraordinary Church. God, would you do something so powerful here that the eyes of men and women, the attention of men and women, the ears of men and women, they're attracted to what's happening here. Why? So they can give us the praise? No. God, draw sinners in our direction. Do something here that draws their attention. And we promise, Jesus, we're going to divert that attention and we're going to point them to you. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach deliverance. We're going to let them be free. We're going to show them how to be baptized in your name and receive your spirit. God, point sinners in our direction so we can point them in your direction. You see, that was the lesson they learned on the day of Pentecost. They learned that the power they were receiving was not for them. It was for others. God's power was only being poured out on them to make them witnesses. So you remember that first prayer meeting in the book of Acts. You remember what happened immediately after they received the Holy Ghost? What was it? Bible study? No. Uh, Was it a worship service? No. Was it a prayer meeting? No. They were already doing all of those things before they received the Holy Ghost. But once God showed up in his power, do you know what happened? They hit the streets. They left the building and they made sure they were going out to reach other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is why when they came to the second prayer meeting, They weren't praying for outpouring anymore. They already had it. They weren't praying for the Holy Ghost anymore. They already had it. They started praying for boldness in the second prayer meeting and in every other prayer meeting after that because you need boldness if you're going to hit the streets and be a witness for Jesus. You need boldness if you're going to let God use your one and only life to impact other lives for his kingdom. You need boldness if we're going to reach our communities. You need boldness if you're going to be an apostolic church and not just an average church. You need boldness. And so the word boldness or bold or boldly It occurs more in the book of Acts than in any other book of the Bible. And that word bold or boldness, it means outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, assurance, confidence. It means freedom of speech. You know what the Holy Ghost came to do for you? Came to give you freedom of speech, to let your tongue be loose so you can tell other people about the glory of God and the goodness of Jesus that he's poured out in your life. That's why you need boldness, and that's why they prayed for boldness. And it's everywhere in the book of Acts. 
I won't take the time. But if you flew over the book of Acts, here's what you'd see. Chapter 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Chapter 9, Saul preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Chapter 9, Saul spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Acts 14, they abode there speaking boldly in the Lord. Acts 18, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Acts 19, Paul went into the synagogue and spake boldly. If you flew over the book of Acts, here's what you see. A bunch of people that have been so changed by the power of God that they are bold. They are loud and proud, not of themselves, but of the God that has delivered them and changed their lives. And they want everybody to have the same privilege. And so that begs the question, what do we pray for? If we never pray for boldness, I can tell you why we don't. Because we don't need it. We're not doing anything bold. We pray for what we need. So if you're doing something that's bigger than you are, if you're doing something that's bigger than your one and only life, if you're joining you and your family together with your church to make a difference in your community, every once in a while you're gonna have to say, Jesus, I need a little bit of boldness today. I'm gonna step out of my comfort zone today. I'm gonna go beyond myself. I'm gonna get beyond what I can do. I need a little bit of boldness today. Oh, and yeah, there's just one more thing. As soon as they began to pray boldly, the very next thing they did was they began to give boldly. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. I, I don't own anything. God gave me everything I have. But they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. When they began to act with great boldness, great power came on them. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They had strategic partners, pastor, and they just started blessing everybody in every direction. Do you understand what happened as soon as the New Testament church began to pray for boldness? The very next thing they did was they launched a big give campaign. That's exactly what they did. That's the very next thing they did. And so what they were saying was, God, let me not only be bold, let me invest in something that is bigger than myself. Let me invest in something that is greater than what I can do on my own. God, I want to invest in this because I want you to do something so extraordinary that it points sinners in our direction and as soon as you point them in our direction, Jesus, we're going to point them in your direction. We're not here to say we can help you. We're here to say he can help you. We're not here to say we can deliver you from your addiction, but we are here to say he can deliver you from any addiction. He can deliver you from any problem. He can deliver you from any situation. That's why we pray for this community. God, point them in our direction so we can point them in your direction. That's what we're here for today. So that New Testament church, my goodness, they just began to give. It was extraordinary. Now, I notice you're doing a mall manhunt. Is that what it is? 
Well, there's another thing that's not as positive as a mall manhunt. It's called mall madness. Have you ever heard of this, mall madness? It might be an actual medical condition. I'm not sure. (laughs) In our culture, we've got mall madness. Our culture discourages the idea of contentment. We are continually bombarded with all kinds of messages that what you have isn't enough and who you are isn't enough and you need more. You need a bigger house. You need a better car. You need a newer cell phone. You need a larger salary. You need whiter teeth and fresher breath. You need a whole lot of stuff to make you sufficient. Materialism is the monster of more. That's what it just keeps crying, more, more, more. One of the Ten Commandments in your Bible forbids something called coveting. Now, coveting is an old word. We don't use that anymore. I can almost guarantee nobody was sitting eating their cornflakes this morning talking about coveting. But coveting simply means the uncontrolled desire to acquire. And we've got it. It's a virus in our society. The Hebrew word for coveting is hamad. And you kind of need a little bit of a head cold to say that word. And that word means to desire something that really you were never meant to own. And so that's why the command against coveting says, don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Just because somebody else has it doesn't mean that you need it. We live in an epidemic of unthankfulness. But I've got to tell you, if you're seated here today in this wonderful city, in this awesome church, you are blessed. If you've got a little bit of education, you're blessed. A billion people on our planet have no education whatsoever. If you've got a place to live, you're blessed. A billion people, they exist in slums or boxes or mud huts. If you've got enough food to eat, a billion people on this planet don't have that. If you've got clean water, a billion people don't have that. If you've got electricity, 1.6 billion people don't have that. If you've got a stove, 2.5 billion people don't have that. If you've got a toilet, 2.6 billion people don't have that. If you've got enough income to survive, 6.5. Five billion people don't have that. And if you've got the freedom to worship, and thank God we still do, five billion people on this planet don't have the freedom you have to come into a place like this and lift up your hands unafraid and worship God. We are blessed. We have everything to be thankful for. We have no hard luck story to tell. Our God has been so good to us. Oh, by the way, if you've got the Holy Ghost, 7.6 billion people don't have that experience. You're abundantly blessed if you're filled with God's Spirit. My, my, my. Wow. So this is why you see scriptures in the the Bible. Uh, The apostle, they'll write and they'll say, now thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's hard to even describe. Jesus talked about becoming a child if we want to belong to his kingdom. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we say to little kids all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? You ever said that to a kid? What do you want to be when you grow up? And you get everything from like astronaut to to ballerina to like fire truck, which doesn't make sense, but they don't know that. What we never do to kids is lean over to them and say, what do you want to get when you grow up? We don't say that. We say, what do you want to be? How is it that when we become adults, we start living as though getting was the all-important thing instead of becoming? And so God wants to make us become something. 
And sometimes it flies in the face of what our culture would teach us. I don't know what you'd tell the little widow, widow woman in Mark 12. She gives her last two coins in the offering at church. You'd probably tell her, you know, you need to keep some of that for yourself. That's not what Jesus said. He said she cast in of her want. She cast in all she had. Other people were just giving God a tip out of their abundance. But she gave and Jesus commanded her. I don't know what you'd tell the businessman in Luke chapter 12. He wanted to expand his business empire. He wanted to live comfortably in the future. He wanted to build bigger barns and silos to store grain and retire early. And Jesus said, thou fool. You've invested in all this stuff down here and this night your soul's going to be required. You're going to die. And what's it going to matter that you built all this stuff that you're going to leave behind? You see, none of us can enthrone the true king unless in the process we dethrone all of our other kings. If Jesus isn't Lord over our possessions and our money, he's not Lord, period. So today's the Big Give campaign. I'm so grateful to be here on this day because here's what I know. Jesus gauged Zacchaeus' spiritual condition by his willingness to give. And he gauged the rich young ruler's spiritual condition by his unwillingness to give. Now, pastor's been teaching this, and if you haven't seen it yet, you need to go back and you need to watch what he's doing midweek because it will instruct you and it will direct your life and it will bless you. Matthew 16 and 26, Jesus said, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you understand that the Bible that we read, God's word, devotes twice as many verses to money as it does to faith and prayer combined? There's about 500 verses about faith, about 500 verses about prayer in the Bible. There are 2,350 verses about money. Why does Jesus say more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined? Why does Jesus, the Savior of mankind, spend 15% of all of his recorded words talking about money? Why is one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels devoted to the subject of money? Why did Jesus tell 16 out of his 38 parables about the subject of money? Why did Jesus say more about money than any other subject? It's because money and possessions, which is called mammon, Pastor. Thank you for teaching us. It's called mammon in the Bible, and it has the greatest potential to replace the lordship of Jesus in your life. You say, what's the enemy of your life for God? And everybody says, the devil. Well, that's pretty obvious. If the devil comes at you, he's like, you know, I rebuke you. But it's mammon, it's money and possessions because that sneaks up on you and you become dependent on that instead of God. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. He's either going to hate one and love the other or he'll hold to one and despise the other. Here's the punchline. You can't serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and materialism at the same time. And so that's why at Extraordinary Church, 
We give an opportunity. It is not a burden to us. It's not something that we resist. It's something that we open our hearts to and we say, God, I want to do two things today. Number one, I want to bless your kingdom abundantly. I want to pray boldly and I want to give boldly. But number two, I want to conquer mammon in my life. I want to conquer materialism in my life. I don't want to be bound by everything that everybody else on my street is bound by. They're all thinking about the next promotion and the next blessing and the next car and the next house and the next vacation property. You know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about, God, what could you do through a group of people like this in a great city like this to reach people for your kingdom? And so, Pastor, he he privileged me and blessed me to let me talk to you today. And, And if this is your first time at Extraordinary Church, I am the uncool version of pastor, but you need to come back next week and hear the cool version of a preacher. So here's the deal. Unless people give systematically, they very seldom give substantially. You have to figure out where am I going to invest? How am I going to do this? And they did a survey a few years back among Christians of all different denominations, and here's what they found. There are three levels of giving, more or less, in the church world, in in, in all the churches combined. 96% of Christians give less than their ability to give. They could easily give more, but 96% give less. 3% of Christians give according to their ability. Only 1% of Christians give beyond their ability. Now, giving beyond your ability is actually the sweet spot of the miraculous. Giving beyond your ability is given when sometimes the numbers don't seem to add up. And sometimes the bottom line says maybe we shouldn't. Sometimes it's given beyond our means. Sometimes it's given despite the risk. And sometimes it's given away some of our necessities, not just given away some of our luxuries. But when you give beyond your ability, that's when God's ability steps in. Because giving is not about donating money. And Pastor said it so great today. It is not about giving money to a church. It is giving your resources through a church so the kingdom of God can be expanded. So we give our treasure, but we also give our time. And we also give our talents into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because moth and rust will corrupt. Thieves will break through and steal. You know when you buy something, now you got to maintain it. you got to insure it. you got to polish it. you got to clean it. you got to take it for service. you got to park it in the garage. you got to store it somewhere. Some of you, you have stuff that you don't even know that you have. My, my dad, he passed away in 2020. And my mom and I were cleaning out a closet. And he had this shelf. He was a pack rat. He was a great man of God, but he was a pack rat. He had this shelf in their bedroom closet. It had a whole bunch of collector's uh, plates. That was something he was into. I have no idea. I did not inherit that gene. Uh, and, and, and he had always told my mom, you can do anything you want with a closet, but stay off my shelf. When he died, we got on his shelf. We pulled down plates. Oh, my goodness. They'd all be like out of style now. He was keeping them. They were all wrapped in styrofoam. It's like, Dad... What were you doing? Like, who was ever going to use these? Because I didn't want them. It's just funny the way people collect things. And, you know, you got to have, like, the 12th thing in the series because you have the first 11. That's a trap. That's, you need to give that up. You need deliverance. 
Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. If you get something, your mind goes to it. Now you got to worry about it. you got to care for it. you got to maintain it and sustain it. That's why Jesus said, you shouldn't lay up treasures down here. That's not where you should focus. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. But here's his punchline. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Some of us, we have so much anxiety in our our lives. You know why? Because our treasure has been put in things that aren't, it's not helping us. It's, It's not doing anything for us. And so when your treasure is invested down here, your heart follows your treasure. If I put my treasure over here in some possession, now my heart, my attention, everything is directed toward that. But if I invest my treasure in the kingdom of God, you know why it's exciting at Extraordinary Church? Because we've got people here that have invested their treasure in the kingdom of God, so their heart's all about the kingdom because where your treasure goes, that's where your heart goes. If you're struggling in your life, you need to invest some of your treasure, your time and your talent in the kingdom of God because when you invest it in the kingdom of God, your heart automatically goes there. You won't struggle near so much with your heart. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling to different countries uh, like Pastor has, and it's always a, a delight to go there. But one of the last stops I make, usually in the airport, leaving that country, if I've got cash for that country, I don't come back to Canada with cash from that country because I live in a small town named Fredericton, New Brunswick. Population, 65,000. If I take that particular form of currency to our bank and pass it to my teller, she is going to look at me like I just lost my ever-loving mind because chances are in Fredericton, she's never seen that. She knows it's foreign currency, but she has no clue what continent it comes from, let alone what country because I live in a small town. Here's what I know. If I can stop on my way out of that country and I can exchange the currency of that country for currency I can use in my country, I'm way better when I get home. Do you know what my goal is before I get out of here and go to heaven? Is I want to exchange the currency of this country down here for some currency in heaven. I want to invest some currency that God has placed in my hand down here and I want to make sure that I've invested it over there because I want to enjoy it over there, my investment for all eternity. I don't want to just squander it down here. What good would it do to end your life and have a big pile of possessions and money and have have never done anything to impact the kingdom of God and then you want to go to heaven, you're going to be a pauper in heaven. But I believe I'm talking to some people here that you're going to be rich in heaven. You're going to have a mansion in heaven. You're going to be blessed in heaven because right now with the little you've got down here, you're saying, I want to make the kingdom of God my priority. I want to give big down here. It's amazing. Let me come to a close. Jesus said in Luke 16, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Watch this. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, if you haven't been a good steward of what God's put in your heart and in your hand down here, if you haven't been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you haven't been a good steward of what you've got here, How do you expect God to bless what you've got over there? 
And so today it's the big give campaign. This church doesn't get up and talk to you and badger you and harass you about money every week. We just give joyfully to the Lord. But once a year, God has prompted our pastor to talk to us and to challenge us. You know what he's doing? He's doing something that's apostolic and biblical. He's in fact doing something that started this church in the first place because he's challenging us. If we're going to do what God's called this church to do, we've got to pray boldly. But the very next thing they did after they started to pray boldly was they started to give boldly. It changed everything. It turned everything in the first century upside down. In fact, there was one ruler in the first century that he looked at the apostolic church and he said, "Uh uh-oh, they that have turned the world upside down, they've come here to our city also. Let it be said of this church family, oh my goodness, they've turned their world upside down and now they're here in our neighborhood. They're going to be at a new campus in downtown Toronto and they're going to turn the world upside down. God, let it be. I let it be. Last scripture. It's what the Apostle Paul said about a group of people in Macedonia. He had challenged them. You need to give. Don't just give God a tip. Become a tither. There's no higher financial priority in the kingdom of God than investing the first part of your income back into the kingdom of God. There's no greater or more blessed financial uh, priority. It has blessed my life, Beverly's life. We've been amazed. The numbers don't even add up at the end of the year when you put God first in your finances. And and it's more than just tithing because that belongs to God. God could have asked for 95%. He asked for 10%. And so when you put that as your uh, number one financial priority, there's no way of telling you how blessed your finances are going to be. But the other thing that we do is beyond our tithe, we give, we invest, we take great joy in it. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, just for the record, I don't want to mess up pastor. We'll take money from a grouch. But God loves a cheerful giver. When you give with joy, it's something amazing. So Paul had challenged these people to give. and He was overwhelmed by their generosity. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 8 and 5. And this they did, not as we hoped. They did way more than what we hoped. They first gave their own selves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us by the will of God. Paul said, I'm impressed with those people in Macedonia. They just blew out the walls when they gave because they gave more than what they thought was financially feasible. They made a sacrifice. They gave into the kingdom of God. I'm just your friend from New Brunswick, but I'm here to tell you that I am so proud, sanctified proud of what is happening in this church. It is such a joy to spend a Sunday with you It is such a joy to see you worship and to look around. And pastor was giving me the 411 during the worship service. That one received the Holy Ghost just a while ago. That one was baptized. That's amazing, brothers and sisters. There is no greater thing on this earth that you can invest in than what God is doing to change the lives of people. And our prayer is, God, do something that draws the attention of our city to us. 
Not so we can puff up with pride and think, oh, how cool we are. God draw their attention to us so we can point their attention to you. God do something that turns their attention in our direction so we can turn their attention in your direction. Today I challenge you. They have prepared for you to give. Pastors explain these categories. My goodness, I think it would be the will of God if you've bought into God's kingdom, it would be the will of God for you to fill out every number on that list. I know that I would. I know that I do in my church at home. I'm so grateful. Long before I was ever a preacher or a pastor, I was a tither and I was a giver. My life has been abundantly blessed by investing in the kingdom of God. I'd like to pray for you today. I'd like to pray that you and your family would give more boldly than ever before. And I'd like to pray for your family that you would begin to pray more boldly than ever before. Would you take the hand of your family members that are seated there with you perhaps? And if you don't have family with you, let me tell you, the Bible says God puts the solitary in families. So if you're all alone here, if you're the only one serving God in your house, you're among family, so you can reach out to anybody. Now, church, would you lift up your voice right now? And we're going to pray because God wants to break the spirit of mammon that would try to just squelch what we do for God. He'd like to release extraordinary generosity, extraordinary praying, extraordinary giving, extraordinary sacrifice because here's what he wants to do on the other side of that. We're not looking for something from you. We're looking for something for you. God wants to pour out great blessings in your life. If you've got somebody by the hand, would you lift that hand with yours right now? If you're all alone, lift both your hands. Let's pray. Lift up your voice and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. And I thank you for what you're doing in this city. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing in the lives of people. Thank you for everyone that has received your spirit. Everyone that has been baptized in the only saving name of Jesus. Thank you for everyone whose life has been turned in inside out and upside down for the kingdom of God. Thank you for every addiction that has been broken. Thank you for every family that has been salvaged. Thank you for every marriage that's been put back together. Thank you for every teenager that's been delivered from a life that could have been just drug addiction. Thank you for every person that has been set free from alcoholism. Thank you for every person that their life has been changed by your power. And now today, God, we focus in like a lady beam. Today is our day to challenge the God of mammon. Today is our day to push back on materialism. Today is our day to invest in your kingdom. Today is our day to sow a seed in your church and watch you multiply it in this city and in our family and in our lives. And so Jesus we don't approach this with trepidation or fear. We approach this with joy and with thanksgiving and with gratitude attitude that little people like us get to give into your great big kingdom. It's a great big kingdom and it's a big 
give into your kingdom. Jesus, I release the blessings of heaven on this church. I pray in the words of your word that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out upon these people a blessing that they are not even able to contain. I pray that you would rebuke the devourer for their sake, that lives that have been attacked by the enemy would be set free as your church gives and as your church prays and as we do something big for the biggest name we know, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Why don't you jump to your feet, lift up your hands, and lift up your voice, and just fill this room with worship to God. Oh, fill this place with worship to Him. Fill this place with worship to Him. Yes, 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 God. Oh, yes, God. Oh, yes, God. Oh, yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now you have in your hand this card. And this is going to be part of our worship today. Say it's just a piece of printed card. No, it's way more than that. It's my statement of rock solid faith in the promises of God. And so I'm going to ask in just a moment that you would step out of where you're standing, everybody included, nobody excluded. Every gift that you can give into God's kingdom, it doesn't stay here to pad someone's pocket or to make our lives easier. It gets invested in the lives of people in this community. And so here's what I want you to do. If you'd fill out as much of that card as you can, fill out every category if you would. And if you're a tither already, just check that because it says, I'll either begin or I'll continue. And if you're a giver, fill out an amount. Maybe it's a one-time gift. Maybe it's a recurring gift that you know God's going to help you. Can I challenge you to step out in faith today? Because they don't have mafia members at this church that are going to come to your house in the middle of the night and say, hey, you wrote it on the card and we didn't see it yet. That's not going to happen here. We give with joy. We rejoice to give. So you can step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to put a number on this card that stretches me a little bit because I want to give boldly and I want to pray boldly and I want my family to be used in your kingdom. They're beginning to come already. Would you join us around the front? Put this card in that bucket and then don't go back to your seat. Just hang out here for a minute and lift up your hands and pray a big prayer over your family and pray a big prayer over this church and pray a big prayer over this city. today. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.